Hi, my name is Deborah Ogden and I would like to welcome you to On Brand With. Through this podcast, I want to bring you into my world of personal brand and impact and hopefully bring it to life through the experiences of me and my guests. Over the coming episodes, I will talk to a range of people I know and admire and ask them about the different ways they use their personal brand, the positive benefits it can bring and what best practice looks like in the real world. My guest today is Claire Taylor, MBE. Now, where do I start? Claire is currently operations director of a fabulous local charity called Street Bikes, which was mentioned by Jason McCartney in an earlier episode. And we're recording the podcast today in their workshop in Milnes Bridge near Huddersfield. But there is so much more to Claire's story. Claire is a sporting hero the first woman to play both football and cricket for England and represent her country in a World Cup. She was part of the Cricket World Cup winning side at Lords in 1993 and the first bowler for England to take 100 wickets in women's one-day internationals. Now, during her career, she's played for Liverpool Ladies at football and Yorkshire County Cricket Club. She's also a great storyteller. I loved every minute of this conversation and I hope you do too. And I started by asking Claire about the many bikes we were perched amongst. Um, Well, Street Bikes as a charity has been going now since 2017. And prior to that, local lady Jill Grief set it up because uh, she was a bit concerned about access to cycling for people with disabilities and just people on low incomes and things like that. So she set it up from her own garage, I think, up in uh, New Mill. And it's progressed to this. It's unbelievable. So all the bikes we get are donated by the public. Uh, we pick them up from the local tips. Uh, Meltham being the most successful one. I think they've provided us with about 600 bikes this year so far. Really? Wow. Uh, yeah, we pick them up from people's houses if they can't get them to the tips. That's a Wednesday morning job and people drop them off here if they can do so all the bikes you see there's probably about two three hundred out there um, are donated and at the moment we're busy doing a free christmas giveaway for kids between one and eight so if there's anyone in the kirkley's area that's got a child that needs a bike for christmas then get in touch and we'll provide one wow I felt a bit emotional coming in and seeing them all lined up because you can just imagine those kids, can't you, on Christmas morning? Yeah, yeah, that's the hope. I mean, uh, what we try and do is um, none of the bikes go into landfill. Um, so if we can't do anything with them because they're too rusty, um, we can either take parts off them. So we use the parts on other bikes. We've got a relationship with CART, which is Christian African Relief right, down yeah. in uh, Lockwood. They occasionally send a container over to Africa, so we provide them with some bikes, so some of the bikes will go to Africa for people out there. And if worse comes to worse, we have a van load of scrap, go up to Schofield, the local scrap merchants, and we'll get some money in return for that. So all the money that we that we raise yeah. goes back into the charity. Well, gets back. So actually, there's two sides to it, isn't it? It's so sustainable, and it's, it's helping with the landfill side of things and the recycling, but also 
getting people out on the bikes from a fitness point of view and accessibility as well. Yeah, I mean, I've worked here four years and some of the requests we get are absolutely amazing. You know, I've met some amazing people through all this. Um, so, yeah, we try and we try and help other people out. We do have an ethical side, so we do give bikes away to refugees, asylum seekers, uh, kids in children's homes, uh, people in social services that are trying to get back on their feet and things like that. But also we've got an affordable bike policy. I think the most expensive bike is, is £80, but some really good you know, bikes that have hardly been used that people are donating. So the um, affordability, affordable bike side of it keep us going. And the ethical side is just part of what Jill wanted you know, street bikes to do. And you look at, um, because we live... I mean, you can't go out. We've just been talking about running, haven't you? Haven't we? But I go out for a run on a Saturday or a Sunday morning and there are so many people out cycling and I'm a comer in to the area and it was a real surprise to me. And yes, my husband's a cyclist, but um, I don't know if I should put that label on him. He has a go anyway. <laughs> I don't think he uh, quite reaches the level of some of the uh, local cyclists, but it is such a culture around here that I would have thought you are supported by a lot of those you know they're always looking for the the next best bike and they'll be glad to be able to uh recycle their bikes if you like bring their bikes to somewhere like this that cares about cycling yeah it sounds crazy saying recycle cycles and things so <laughs> yeah. we we sort of like say upcycle yeah. so because a lot of the bikes you know we can they've been left out in the garden we can sort of like make them into bikes that are usable um, but yeah, it is amazing that the, the quality of the bikes that we're actually getting. And like you say, I think people who are keen cyclists, or even if they're not, rather than trying to sell the bike secondhand and get money for the new bike, um, they'll give it to us. Uh, the other week, I picked up three bikes. They were just about brand new. And I said to the guy, I said, look, you'll, you'll get about 500 quid for this on eBay. Oh, I can't be bothered, love. You can have it. And literally, that's what we did. We put it on an eBay site as well. Uh, and we, we literally got 300 quid for it. So little things like that, you know, mean a lot to us. And it, it's great that that guy, you know, thought about us to be able to do that. So how do you, do you get to see, do I always wonder about these things. So when you're sharing these bikes with perhaps the children's homes or, uh, you know, these deserving causes, do you get to see the photograph of them receiving the bike? Because I would have thought that's that's fabulous to see the look on people's faces. Sometimes we do. Um, well, another part of what Street Bikes does is we run mixed ability cycling sessions mm-hmm. at the running track over at Spembra. Uh, so over there, we've got five containers full of adapted bikes. Okay. Um, so the hand-propelled ones, leg-propelled ones, double side-by-side, three-wheelers, four-wheelers. We've got all kinds of bikes for all abilities. And do you adapt those in the workshop? Is that something? No, but we, we service them here. But the, the bikes that we've bought online off okay. you know, specialist companies, mm. and we've built the number of bikes up over the years. Uh, we've even got three bikes that you can actually, it's got like a tray on the front and a wheelchair can go on. Wow. So somebody's, you know, the carer cycles behind, but for the person in the wheelchair, you know, feel the wind through the hair and going a little bit quicker than, you know, they would do. It's unbelievable. It really is. So that's another side of what we do. Um, So it's just bits of everything going on. And I've seen, um, I'm sure I've seen photographs of Jill with uh, partially sighted people and some of the images that I've seen, you know, in the examiner. And it it must bring... um, more breadth to people's lives if they've got a disability to be able to as you say things that we take for granted that they can just feel the wind as they're, they're cycling along or... yeah the classic case is uh, there's a, a blind couple and they, yeah. they won't mind me saying blind because they have yeah. been blind from birth Tamara and Wayne 
and they met at a blind college down in um, Reading, I think, and live over in Thornhill. Tamara comes and you get on the back of the tandem and chat, chat, chat. And anyway, it came out that she's really into going to concerts, you know, gigs and stuff. Yeah. And because she's blind, she always needs a carer. So she's got one main carer who'll go with her to most of the gigs. But it depends on the kind of music as to whether this person will go with Tamara <laughs> as well. So me being me, I was cycling around with her one day and I said, oh, yeah, look, if you can't go, just let me know. So I get a text from her saying, oh, I've got tickets for Celine Dion. Do you want to come? <laughs> And obviously the, the ticket for the carer is free. Yeah. So yeah. the way it works is I go and pick Tamara up uh, in the car. We, If we go to the O2 in Leeds, there was a pub at the front. So before that got knocked down, we'd go and get something to eat and a little drink. And then we get great seats at, in, in the venues. Uh, and so I've been to see about five or six different groups. So come on, who have you been to see on the back of Tamara? On the back of Tamara. <laughs> probably Celine Dion was the biggest one. Um who else have we been to see? Oh, Sting and Shaggy. We went to see Sting and Shaggy. Right. We've also been to see... Oh, I'm losing track now. Been, been to see quite a few. It's interesting, isn't it, that these are the cast-offs that the other carer doesn't want to yeah. see. <laughs> oh, Ollie Murs. Ollie Murs. Um, um, Flo Rida. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah she's, she's got quite an eclectic uh, taste in music. So there's sometimes when she'll say, oh, I've got tickets for sort of like Ellie Goulding and I think oh I quite like Ellie Goulding do you need anyone to take you uh no so and so's going <laughs> you have to book in in yeah. advance so that's been on hold a little bit unfortunately but uh, try and keep in touch with her text wise and but they're good characters they just get on with life uh Wayne's quite her husband's quite a big advocate for you know partially sighted and he goes to town matches and things like that so you know it's no barrier to them and it's uh it's good to spend time with people like that and I don't mean it disrespectfully to mm. them but you know you might have a bad day and think oh woe is me but you just think these people just get on with life and that's what you've got to do I think yeah it's interesting actually um earlier this week for the podcast that'll go out before before this one so I can't quite work that out in my head as I'm saying that, uh, was uh, a lady called Sarah Dransfield and she's an amputee and she was talking about this and how, you know, we were talking about resilience and it's it's the simple things that you don't, don't think about and we were talking about how from a running point of view, yes, her, her leg is state of the art, but uh, when it came to wearing a blade to run, that was a different thing altogether. So I would have thought the accessibility that the bikes give people, but not just people who are disabled, people who, I noticed you run uh, sessions for women that, you know, that might not be brave enough. A lot of us haven't been on a bike since we were at school or we were pedaling around the estate. So that, that must be a massive thing as well for people. Yeah, I think when Jill set it all up, she wanted literally to be all inclusive. And I think the, the ladies, well, we call it women only. I don't know if in this day and age you can get away with that. But that basically started in Savile Town in Dewsbury. And it was to enable more Muslim women to mm -hmm. get out and about on bikes. And obviously they needed to go with female ride leaders yeah. as well. So I remember when I first started, we'd load the van with bikes in Spenborough, we'd take the van down to Leggers down on the canal in Savile Town. The ladies would meet us there, we'd kick them up on a bike, we'd either go on the streets and on the Greenway or on the canal, and it's just absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, and the number of people, it's like you say, the smile on the face, mm. they can actually do it or they go a little bit further. You know, going around the track is, if you go four laps, that's a mile. So the number of people that come and they'll go, I've done, I've done six laps, done six laps. Wow. And I'll go, do two more and then that's two miles. Wow. And it's just that sense of achievement and it's, it is so easy to do. And that self-esteem that they, you know, that knock-on effect of 
just having a go. Yeah. Um, and I bet there's some real friendships formed, are there, on oh, that track? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, there's a there's a couple of twins that come from uh, Normanton, I think. They've, they've stopped coming a little bit now. They're dyspraxic, so they've got, you know, problems with the balance. But they're so deadpan and down to earth. And we helped them one year. They were Tweedledee and Tweedledum in a <laughs> pantomime. So we're getting them... <laughs> To, do, to learn the learn the lines and we videoed them put them up on our facebook page and we got so many hits and it's not it's it's laughing with them not laughing oh, at them and yeah. even now they're called uh, tiffany and um tiffany and oh gosh i've forgotten her name tiffany and uh not tamara tammy tammy yeah. and tiffany and i still get texts from them now little phone calls every once in a while especially over lockdown just to make sure they're all right because obviously they, they haven't come over but you do you, you make some meet some unbelievable and like you say they start off as clients customers and they do become friends and the impact that you're having on their lives i suppose you know whether it's the kids with the the bike um you know that the, they'll get for christmas or it's people joining the sessions that impact isn't just about that day, is it? It goes on and on. Yeah, it's, it's a ripple a effect. Yeah. 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 And it's the knock-on effect that then they have. You'll get people ringing up going, oh, my friend's been down to one of your sessions mm-hmm. or my friend's got a bike, uh, you know, can you help us out? And it is that knock-on effect or people ring, I got a bike from you about three years ago. You know, my, my, my child's grown out of it. Um, can we bring it back and can we sort of like swap it for a, a bigger one? And in a way, that's what it's all about. It's, it's cycling is the medium. Mm. to enable people to be better people to get more exercise like you say just to feel better about themselves it's not about making them into the next you know um Ed Clancy, Clancy or whatever say, else yeah. yeah 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 it's not about that but it gives them that first step on the ladder if that's what they want to do but if it's just about cycling for fun and going on the uh, greenway or on the canal with the kids you know it's all about that it's inclusion it's including a lot of people in basic things or, you know, even greater things. Yeah, we, I mean, we mentioned Ed Clancy there, so we have got this heritage of cycling. What, where does your love of cycling come from? Um, I mean, we can, we'll talk about, yeah, can't wait to talk about your sporting background in a minute, but where does your love of cycling come from? I think it was imposed on me by working for street bikes. Right, and that okay. sounds crazy. Um, I lived in New Zealand for a while, so I had a mm-hmm. bike out there. And again, you know, mountain biking and going off, off-road and everything was quite easy. I wouldn't say I'm a keen cyclist. Mm. I would say I've got a bike. I feel confident on a bike. Uh, during lockdown, I got out and did 10, 15 miles on it. But I wouldn't say I'm a keen cyclist. And that sounds really crazy. But And I think it's, like I said before, cycling is the medium yeah. to enable people. And in a way, I suppose I've been dragged along with it. But I do enjoy cycling. So as a sportswoman, so I was thinking about this last night, I mean, cycling has always been big in this area, but the Grand Depart and the tour coming from Yorkshire, what, gosh, I've lost track of them, was it 2014, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Depart, I think, yeah. yeah, so many years ago now. But that had such an impact on the area, and I think what a legacy that has, has left here. But I just wonder, as a sportswoman, when you started playing football and cricket, I wouldn't have thought cycling was seen as a career. Do you think if you had your time again now, cycling could have been something that uh, captured your heart? Probably not, no. no. Um, I, I think I like the team environment rather yeah. than the individual. And I know, you know, right at the top of the tree, Tour de France, it is a team thing. Mm. But I don't know, just being out there on my own, grind, grinding the wheels day after day, you know, mile after mile. I don't know. I, I think... My competitive side would have been me against the hill, me against the distance, you know, me against perhaps everyone else. But I think 
getting into team sport is for me is I don't know there's, there's more to it and I think it, it's more character building so your competitive spirit where does that come out most so is your competitive spirit against against yourself so yes absolutely I'm gonna smash that hill or I'm gonna get that PB or whatever it is or is it about beating an opposition where's it strongest for you it's a bit of both uh, I remember all the time I was training you know and it was like you, you were given set things that you had to do and it was like you know, if I do another one of these, I'll, I'll get an England team. Or if I do another one of these, you know, in my own mind, we've won the World Cup. And that was my way of getting me... She just drops that in. We've, yeah, we've, we've won, won the World Cup. Cup. We've won uh, the World Cup. We'll come on know, to that in but a then, then within the sport team environment, it was then you'd got to do your bit within that team to help beat the opposition. And you might be nicey-nicey to them off the field. Mm. But when you got on that field, it was like, you know we're winning this yeah that always fascinates me now as, as somebody who loves watching football and cricket um watching a team and seeing you know them going all out particularly football the intensity of a football match and then i saw it on um tuesday night watching huddersfield town get beaten again <laughs> but uh, you know and it was the intensity of the match and then they're they're all arms around each other and obviously former teammates having a chat and I think that's wonderful in professional sport that you can have that intensity on the game, in the game, sorry, and then have that camaraderie outside of it. Yeah, I think you, you've got to know where the boundaries lie. Mm. Um, I remember playing against the Australians and there was one really quick bowl and she was nasty. She was nasty yeah. on the field, but as nice as pie. And every series, she'd meet her, or I'd see her in the hotel and she'd just go, no mates on the pitch. But she'd be the first one to sort of like come and chat to you and have a drink and whatever else afterwards. And I think it's getting that, the boundaries, isn't it? It's a boundary of once you step over that white line, another bit cliched, you turn into a different person in a way you've got to do. You've got to be more focused on what you need to do to get the result you want to get. Within, you know, the laws of the game, I'd, I'd like to think, well, I never got booked in, oh, I got booked once in my football career, but that was t for telling the ref he was pathetic. It wasn't really a <laughs> lunging tackle. And that, that just wasn't my style. I play fair and hard, but always hopefully within the, the boundaries of sportsmanship and everything else. Hated losing, but you still had to come off that pitch shaking somebody's hand and going well played and not look like a sore loser. And that comes down to integrity as well, doesn't it? I mean, I was saying integrity is about doing the right thing when no one's looking. And you know yourself, and I sometimes think that within sport. And, and I can remember actually my brother playing um, schoolboy cricket at Old Trafford for Lancashire. And I mean, gosh, it would be going back, I'm trying to think now, it's probably going back 30 years, and him taking a wicket and going, yes! and being reprimanded by the umpire because you just did not mm. do that in those days and how the game has developed. But I do think that sport introduces such great boundaries for young people. I think it does, and it, it gives you good life skills as well. Mm. You know, my probably biggest one was, was time management. Mm. You know, at one point I was playing football and cricket for England and trying to get that everything you know, working full-time as well. So it was, you know, an example was at Christmas, I was working at the post office in Bradford and Christmas was a crazy time. Uh, so my shift was one o'clock till nine o'clock at night. I was going in at 7.30 to do some overtime, having an hour and a half off at lunchtime and going to the local gym and doing a workout then to actually 
do everything I needed to do, earn the extra money because I've got a house to keep going, do my training because I wanted to stay in the team and then fulfil my commitments to, you know, a full-time job. Wow. So, it, you know, I'm not saying how wonderful I am or anything, but if I hadn't have done that, if the training had slid, then perhaps you lose your place in the team and if you don't have enough money to pay your bills, then your house slide. So I think it's getting a balance and also it teaches you a lot about yourself. Again, mm. that resilience, how resilient you are to winning, to losing, to injuries, how you come back from those. And also, I suppose, to being told what to do. Yeah. You know, a lot of times when with a coach or a manager or even a fitness person, right, you need to get to level 12 on the beep test or you're gone. You need mm. to lose half a stone because whatever. Mm. It, it's, it's learning to deal with that in the correct manner. You know, you can turn around and go, you're not telling me what to do. And I've seen enough players come and go because they weren't prepared to do that or they didn't get the time management right. It was always excuses. Well, I can't go to the gym because... I just think if you want it enough, and I don't believe in sacrifice. I think sacrifice is a big word. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, so, no, yeah. I, I think it's about conscious decisions you make at certain times in your life when you're faced with a, a set of things that you have to do. You make a conscious decision that you're not going to go out on a Friday night or you're not going to take that higher paid job. You're not going to advance your career away from your sport because you've got this to do. Yeah, and you can look back and go, oh, perhaps if I'd have done that, but... I'd, yeah, I'd have taken a different path in life completely. So I'm happy with the life I've got and even looking forward. It's like during COVID, focus on what you can do mm-hmm. rather than what you can't do. I mean, I've got so many, we can't do this, we can't do that. And I'm like, yeah, but we can do this. Mm-hmm. So let's go do it. You know, so let's go for a walk and let's go for a takeaway bacon butty and sit on the wall and eat it. It's not as great as sitting inside, but we can still... Let's do what we can do, yeah. So are you somebody... So I want want to take you back because I read somewhere when I was doing my research that your your football career started when you applied to an advert in Shoot magazine. Is that right? Uh, Yes and no. It really started kicking a ball around in Crossland Moor because where I lived, it was just lads. And so if you wanted to play out, you played football. So I just took the local rec. That's where it first started. And then got to secondary school, Moor End, and there's a couple of girls that wanted to play football. And literally, there was a team in Bradford called Bronte Ladies, <laughs> and the advert was in the shoot magazine. And we lived close to each other in Crossland Moor. So I think one of the dads said, well, why don't you give this a go? And he took us over to the first training. And I suppose the rest is history. He, he took us first time, then we'd go on the bus, and then one of us learnt to drive, so we'd go in the car. So, yeah, and, and they were good old days. I know it sounds really daft. You know, you didn't rely on your mum and dad, really. You took four buses to get to where you needed to go. That's what I'm saying. For me, that's character building. It's, yeah. It teaches that resilience. Oh, I've missed this bus. Well, let's walk to the next bus stop and get a different bus. You know, it was, it was little things like that. And do you think that... So was... I mean, we're, we're talking about very different days then, aren't we? In any, in, 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 I can't even say it, in any sport, never mind women's sport and how women's sport has come on, certainly in the professional game. But do you think it was an absolute talent that you had or do you think it was a talent plus that mental attitude, that drive, that ambition? It's crazy because I've never really thought about it. I didn't wake up one day and go, oh, I'm going to play football for England or I'm going to play cricket for England. I started playing the sports because I enjoyed them. Yeah. I liked playing them. And if, for me, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And it just seemed to evolve. 
obviously there must have been some ability there. Um, but I don't think in either sport I was ever the best player. I know for a fact I wasn't. I just knew what I needed to do mm. to stay in the team. And I knew the job I had to do within the team. And I just worked towards doing that. You know, I love that because that's something, This, is, I mean, it, it's become more than a business podcast and a lot of different people listen to it, but that that's the whole premise behind the work I do, that it's not about being the best, it's about being the best to your ability. Yeah. So you might not be the best technically, but it's all the additional stuff that you are in control of that you can do something about and that seems to have been a a huge driver in your life yeah definitely you you know you know your strengths you perhaps know what your weaknesses are I was very predominantly right-footed my left foot was terrible in fact somebody once sent me the video my left foot because it was that bad and I wouldn't probably get away with it in in today's Hmm. football and it's a lot quicker but I knew what I needed to do to be able to get into the team and like say and stay in the team so I was a centre half so I knew that my heading had got to be good and then I started playing sweeper so your reading of the game had to be good and your communication so I think you you pick up different skills as you go along within the cricket I was the opening bowler then you get a little bit older and a little bit slower so you think right I'm first change so perhaps I do slow down do a little bit more with the ball Right, okay, so my batting's not that great. Um, if I want to stay in the team, if it's between me and another person for that bowling spot, if I'm a better batter and fielder, then I'm going to get the nod in front of them. And I think it was that willingness to do what I needed to do. I don't, don't mean that nastily, but no. tweak my game and tweak my skills and what I could do that gave me the longevity, especially in the cricket. I mean, I was 40 when I, you know, the last game. and there was I double-checked that last night, if I'm honest. Long time I, I ago. I got that right. Yeah. <laughs> no, and there was, there was 18, 19-year-olds. And instead yeah. of being better than me to take my place, they were like, oh, well, she'll retire soon. Yeah. And I, I don't get that mentality. I, yeah. I really don't get that mentality. So in my own mind, it was like, right, you want it, you come and get it, because I'm not retiring until I need to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't, I, I don't get that kind of mentality. I, I'm just a little bit, I'd say I'm quietly confident. I don't go shouting, I can do this, I can do that. It's cliched again, it's let your performances do the talking. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got to enjoy it. You've got to enjoy what you're doing. Sometimes I see a lot of players, you know, for them it's becoming a chore. Mm. and as soon as you wake up and it's a chore you don't want to go to the gym you don't want to go to the nets um then that is probably time to give up do you see yourself as, have you been do you, have you seen yourself as a role model then so being the more senior shall we say member of the team yeah I think I think during the cricket that was mm. um obvious and I didn't mind you know playing that role the new kid was coming in they always had to room I'll give you, let you into a secret. My nickname at cricket is Romper. So it was, you know, a new kid always has to. So where does romped. that come on? You can't, I mean, everybody in cricket, I worked in cricket for 10 years and everybody has a nickname in cricket. So where does this one come okay, from? Okay, so early in my Yorkshire career, to save costs, we were camping. There was a five day competition down at Cambridge. Can you Cambridge. imagine that these days? So we were camping. It was a typical August. I got my fluffy pyjamas on and got out of the tent and I got pyjamas tucked in and my socks tucked in as well. Pockets were hanging out of these pyjamas. And one of the girls just made a flippant comment, you look like you've got a romper suit on, which for younger people is probably a onesie now. And it just stuck. 
So that day we're playing Lancashire and I'm coming into bowl and come on, romper, go like this. <laughs> so then I went to square leg to field and the umpire there was a very um, prim and proper lady from down south. And she just turned to me, she goes, oh, why do they call you romper? <laughs> and I didn't know who she was and I've been a bit... Um, Cheeky, I said, oh, refers to my sexual activities. <laughs> anyway, she didn't speak to me at all. Then it was well, no more conversation. We went in for lunch and my captain said, oh, I saw you having a bit of a chat with the chairman of selectors. Oh. So this square leg umpire was the chairman of the England selectors. So this is a great story that I tell, like, you know, like if you want to get ahead and get in the England team, get yourself a nickname. <laughs> and if it's not that, you know, spicy, you know, <laughs> spicy, lie <laughs> about it, lie about it. And then, hey, poncho like that. But honestly, that nickname has stuck. It's anyone within cricket, even now, get people, hey, Romps, you're right. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's a nice little thing to have. Um, you know, but but explaining it's probably <laughs> the hard of it. <laughs> but, you know, isn't that interesting? I think that you, you've talked about that team spirit. And I think he, every sport has its, its little um, idiosyncrasies, shall we say. But that is something in cricket. Everybody has, I mean... Andrew Flintoff was coming through the ranks at Lancashire when I was there. And I can remember John Stanworth first calling him Freddie Flintoff, you know, and, and yeah. how that came about. And everybody has those nicknames and it just becomes part of a culture, doesn't it? But isn't that about belonging and we all want to be part of a tribe of some type? Yeah, I suppose it is. Um, I, I, really, I, do, I am a social animal, as you can probably tell. And I, I do love... The, the team spirit and the camaraderie and being in groups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like tonight, there's four of us living in our little area and we've tried to make Friday night drinks night. And so just even a little get yeah. together like that. And, you know, I've still got friends all around the world that you keep in touch with and that's from sport. Yeah. And the friends that you might not see them for 12 months or hear from them, but they're always there for you. Yeah. You know, like I said, I lived in New Zealand for a while, so there's loads of friends over there. So as soon as I said, oh, I'm thinking of coming over for the women as well, come and stay with us, come and stay with us. And it's that kind of extended family and network that sport gives you. And that's why I'd say to any young kid, get in a sports team. You don't have to be the best. Mm. You, you know, even if you're sort of like subbed every, it's about that camaraderie and extended family, I suppose. You've always got that team in the loosest sense around you, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. So, going back again, because we'll be talking for hours, won't we? But um, going back again, so just give me a sort of timeline. So you started playing football. So when did the cricket come in? Um, I started playing football at school, mm. uh, then went on to Bronte Ladies, and then when the National League started, I played at Knowsley, who then became Liverpool. In the background, when I went to secondary school, um, this one Friday afternoon, our form teacher we go, so what are you doing this weekend? I'm playing cricket. And we looked at him and thought, cricket or any kind of sport like this? So four of us decided, he played for Goka, who's the captain up at Goka, and four of us decided we're going to go and watch him, and it was down at Armitage Bridge. So we went and watched, and he came over, and you know, and it's your yeah. form teacher. We thought he was going to tell us off for being there. And it's such a gorgeous ground, Armitage Bridge. Oh, it is, absolutely. Bridge, it? And, and so next couple of weeks... I went and watched because the rest didn't want to go. It's boring, we don't want to do it. And so I just got my dad to drop me off and just sit in the corner and watch. Anyway, one day we were up at Kirk Eaton and he came over. He said, we need a scorer. Can you score? And I'm like, no idea, but I'll give it a go. That's another one of my philosophies in life. Give it a go, as long as it's legal. Um, so I started I think scoring. scoring's more difficult than playing in cricket. Well, I didn't but... have the coloured pencils back in the day, so that was all right. So I did that for five, six years. So that was my interest wow. in cricket came. 
Um, then I played a bit of six aside university. Uh, and then when I came back to Huddersfield after uni, was playing a bit of hockey, obviously playing bits of everything. And a girl I played hockey with played cricket at Wakefield Women. And so I started there. So you're quite, it's, am I allowed to say a late starter with a cricket? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 20, 24, 25. Wow. Yeah, I played football from being a nine, ten year old. And I think possibly that's why the longevity has lasted in cricket because I was relatively later to it. I think, yeah, 23, 24 when I first played for England. Um, but yeah, out of the two, it's quite strange because I, I played for England cricket longer, but I think I preferred football more. Well, I was going to ask you that. I mean, yeah. you know, football or cricket? Cricket, Cricket's more like a chess game. There's, mm. it, it's more from the neck yeah. up is, yeah. is cricket, it really is. And what I found with cricket a little bit more, it, it's a bit final. Mm. once you're out you're out you can't yeah. do anything about it if people keep dropping you know catches from you you don't get any wickets whereas at football you give a penalty away in the first minute you've got that rest of the time to try and get it back I think yeah cricket's a bit more clinical and yeah unforgiving yeah um I often use cricket as an as an analogy for business in that I always think you can have those star players so you can have your batsman your bowler but unless the team stand up in the field then you're never going to win a game and also I don't think there's any other sport that is such an individual team sport mm. and and as a parent watching Oscar go out you know at, at whatever age to bat that first time you you sit with you you don't watch the innings you no. sit with your head in your hands and and I think cricket is so different to any other game like that but then there's something about football that as you say it just keeps going and going and that passion for the full 90 minutes and as a spectator so do you enjoy be it having played does that change the enjoyment of spectating no no I'm a town season ticket holder um yes but they're not your first love Claire as we've learned already yeah but <laughs> having played for Liverpool ladies for a few years I've, I've had to follow them as well and you do need a Premier League team and now town aren't unfortunately I can have Liverpool have you enjoyed did, or did you enjoy the uh Klopp David Wagner uh, relationship at the time. Then. I did, but unfortunately, I was one of the few pers- people that didn't sing it in the ground. Okay. Until um, I think something happened, and then I did sing it because he was better than. Oh, when we beat Manchester United, that yeah. was obviously was better than Klopp that day. But no, I, I love watching football. I do, but I do get a little bit frustrated, very frustrated with all the diving that goes on. It just again, that's integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Harry Kane, to me, is a brilliant player. And why he started all this, looking for fouls, and I, it just does my head in, completely does my head in. I shout at the TV screen, watched Aston Villa the other night, and if they'd have stayed on the feet, mm. they'd have won that game. But in- they kept throwing themselves, and it, mm. it, that, for me, that spoils it. And that's why women's football is a lot better to watch, because they don't do that. <laughs> really interesting about um harry kane i've i've brought this up before but when we were in the when town were in the premier league uh, we we were waiting for him after the game and he came out and what a great role model in so many ways in that he ensured that everybody there got the photograph got the autograph and but then you see that other side and you just think well kane kane's a classic one the first 
season in the Premier League, he came down, they beat us 4-0, he got applauded off the field mm, by the town fans. Yeah. Because yeah. he was, then, he wasn't mm. throwing himself. A year later he comes, he got booed off because mm. he'd started this Yeah, looking to the fourth look, official. Yeah, yeah and yeah. He, he doesn't need to do it. He's too good a player for that. He's just, I don't know, he's, he's ruining himself on the field. So when you're talking, and and I'm talking sport general now, who have been your sporting heroes? Who did you look up to? Oh, cricket-wise, definitely in both of them. But I don't know that's because I'm a bit, not rebellious, but yeah, a little bit like him. Play hard, but perhaps party hard as well. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Ian Botham, big fan of Ian Botham. Uh, Football-wise, that sounds daft. Brian Stanton at town. Mm -hmm, Loved the way he was just industrious. And Terry McDermott at Liverpool. But I think they're both the same kind of players. Yeah, you know they weren't like you say they weren't the star players, but they were an integral part of the team. Mm. Um, at the moment, oh let's see, Liverpool I think Wijnaldum, but again that's a midfield. Mm. Um, uh, in cricket circles, ooh, don't know a tricky one. There's there's some good good cricketers. Joe Root, I like I was just Joe's about to ask you down, about down Joe. to earth, yeah. down to earth, and, and a great captain I think. Yeah, a, you yeah. know when you're looking at a role model and. But it's interesting, I've, I've, I do have a, I've picked up another sideline role. I've, I am an, actually an anti-corruption official for well, the tell ECB. Tell us about this, I was going yes. to ask you about this. So um, I look after Yorkshire, Lancashire and Durham men's team and then the Northern Diamonds, which is the women's team and Central Sparks. So anti-corruption, it sounds worse than it actually is. So at televised games, there's a time delay, as in most broadcasts, between what goes on on the pitch and what goes out on TV. So at the grounds, there's people sit there um, on computers and they're using that time delay to either um, ball-by-ball commentary back to India wow. and where the delay's probably about 30 seconds. Or there's a forum, there's Betfair have a sort of like a betting platform where you're, on, you're online betting against other people. You're not betting against a bookie. You're betting against other people, but because you're at the ground you've got like 12 seconds to know, oh, it's just gone for four. Wow. And it's funny because there's quite a few guys. It's not illegal, but it's just a little bit immoral. So there's one guy at uh, Yorkshire, and I've got to know him, and I sit next to him, and he shows me how it works. And it's a little bit like selling shares, buying and selling shares, but you're buying it within the game and how it's moving. Uh, It is quite interesting, but I sat with him, and he made £2,500 on one game. Wow, and that's that on intellectual understanding of the game as well. Yeah, and he, he goes around the world, and that's his that's his living. So it's a professional bookie kind of thing, but it's not illegal. So what we do is we're looking more for people a ball by ball commentary back to India because bookmaking in India is illegal. It's mm-hmm. all underground. So if we find anyone in the crowd that looks like got an earpiece in or is like talking to themselves, it's quite interesting because having played, it's a totally different side of the game. Um, I go along with my accreditation, ask to have a chat with him, get a couple of the ground stewards. If, you know, we think that that's what he's doing, he gets issued with a, a, a letter to say you're banned from all cricket grounds. And then if you see him at another ground, you just tap him on the shoulder and kick him out. So I've got one regular and I must have kicked him out about four times. And, and well, does he know you as a former player? No, I don't think he does. Yeah. Um, again, his, his situation is really difficult. He gets paid something like perhaps £250 by a bookie to go in and do it. If he gets kicked out, he still gets a £250. Um, Mm. So, you know, that's why he regularly comes back. I think he's 
low income always possibly an asylum seeker so yeah. you know you can't earn that much money but it, it, it's very interesting so I was lucky I managed to work at the Men's World Cup last year I was uh, going around with the Pakistan team and they're a lovely bunch of lads you know everyone straight away yeah. match fixing or whatever else the poor old Pakistan team get a little bit of a bad rep but they're absolutely they're lovely people really looked after me and no issue at all with them yeah um, I- one of my um, sort of lasting memories of cricket was working um, during the World Cup and Old Trafford hosted Pakistan and India. So it was India versus Pakistan. And at the time it was the race riot, riots in Oldham. So it was just such a politically yeah. sensitive uh, time. And I can remember, I was media manager and I can remember having to host the media conferences at that point. And not talking about cricket and it was such a sad situation that yeah. uh, you know we weren't talking about the game we were talking about the, the politics polit- yeah, and, and you know sport and politics should should stay away from each other uh, they really should um, they're, they're too they are interlinked I suppose as businesses or as part of our infrastructure but yeah I think yeah so I'll put you on the spot then, probably a bit unfairly. So, you know, Marcus Rashford, you knew what was coming, didn't you? Working in the environment, you do. I mean, you know, for such a young, I think what Alex Ferguson has come out and said this week about, you know, I can learn from him. But how, how do you, I don't know, over to you, how do you feel about that when somebody's using that uh, level of fame, that level? Yeah, of- I, I admire his commitment to a cause mm-hmm. and I can understand fully where it's coming from. But I think the the situation he's in and the amount of money he earns, potentially, yeah, bring it to the public's forefront, but make himself a charity or turn himself into the Marcus Rashford Charitable Trust and get people to donate to that, then he's got more control over where that money goes. Just by going to government and giving more vouchers out doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean that the kids who need the food will 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 get the meals um so i think he, he possibly should have gone down that route and been more specific in the areas um he was targeting where that funding needed to go do you think that's perhaps naivety isn't it and getting on you know that uh... perhaps or it's just youthful exuberance yeah i yeah. think it's a bit of both yeah. uh, but you know fair play to him you know you're going to get people who agree people who don't but at least he's tried to make a stand i suppose Absolutely. Um, we haven't talked about the World Cup. So, uh, and I want to talk about the World Cup, but there was just something that I read last night uh, because there is another Claire Taylor in cricket, isn't there? Yeah, she's called Tails. That's her nickname. Tails. Um, we are not very Romper. good friends. We're very good friends. <laughs> well, I, well, that makes this uh, story, if true, uh, even more lovely then. So I was reading last night that she actually badgered her mum to take her to the... England World Cup at Lords that you were playing in the team and won and you were her heroine uh, hero and then that's what inspired her one you were one of the people that inspired her career and then you end up playing in the same team for England together how does that feel it, there's quite a funny story behind that so 93 World Cup um it was it was all a bit crazy. And it a, was against New Zealand, was it? Against New Zealand, yeah. down at Lords. We were still playing in skirts and... <laughs> still playing in skirts. Still playing in skirts. There's the line that you and don't think Sunday about. Sunday yeah. grandstand, had, uh, Ralph Della was there. They were going backwards and forwards. And England men had just lost the Ashes. So, 
you'll know media. Oh, great story. Let's get down to Lords for the last hour. So big pitch invasion, you know, for like for weeks after that, we were like minor celebrities. And then about, I've got many years later, Claire Taylor, the other Claire Taylor tales, um, gets into the England squad and she comes to a, um, a weekend and we've all been told to bring a photograph that means something to us. So Tails brings this picture of her with a big round glasses on as a 14, 15 year old. And I'm obviously just running past and she manages to, you know, lean in like <laughs> a selfie in those, yeah. It wouldn't be a so selfie was, in those days, So there's a it? picture of me and Tails and I knew her well enough like that. So she then got renamed Sandra Washbrook because she looked like some kind of, you know, stalker or some person <laughs> who, who shouldn't be there. But we, our friendship's grown. Tails is very... She's got a, a maths degree from Cambridge, Oxford, and she's very analytical. She, at one point, I remember going and having a drink with her, and she was trying to um, revise, revamp the Duckworth-Lewis system because oh. that's that's how tales uh, understanding the the yeah, original yeah, yeah. Duckworth-Lewis yeah. is challenging. And we're you know? we're probably chalk and cheese. Uh, but over the years, we've roomed together, we spent time together. In fact, I spoke to her last week, and she's mellowed because uh, there will be times when she go on about something really serious and I go tails and she go yeah too serious yeah but yeah she's a lovely character and we I call her the imposter now and she calls me the original so (laughs) it and then that's what I mean about it I I never look at myself and think you are a role model but for tails to feel like that and for us now to have this friendship and we're on equal footing you know and she continued playing longer than I did so you know it was then me going to her mate that was great innings you know absolutely fantastic so yeah I don't don't really look at it it's only when we have talked to people like this that you really you know really start thinking about it but for me it's just a part of my life that I thoroughly enjoyed that nobody can take away from you and yeah at times when you want to reminisce about it that's great but it's gone it's done and dusted Fortunately, at the moment, I've got opportunities in the cricket and even in the football to do work, I think, based on your background and based on not jobs for the boys or girls, but you've had that experience, um, you know, moving forward, you can you can pick up different lines of work. Um, so at the moment, I've working with a league managers association in football and been on a, a mentoring course. So I've passed that. So now there's opportunities to go and mentor um, coaches, managers in the women's championship. So, right. you know, it's another avenue and that's the great thing as well. Perhaps your reputation or what you've done before opens other doors and avenues and then it's down to you as individuals to taking those opportunities. But doesn't that go back to you and what you said before about you recognise your strengths and you use those strengths and quite often when I'm working with people I'll say it's not just about what you're doing now look at I mean I set off life as a lawyer you know and and it's it's a million miles from what I'm doing now but it gave me skills that I still use today so it's those skills that we pick up that become part of identity our identity who we are yeah, definitely. And, and the mentoring thing's quite, because again, that's another term, isn't it? That, you, you know, I'm telling you what you should be doing, but it's not. It's about asking questions of you to try and make you that better person. And we all mentor each other, you know, informally, sat in a pub. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if somebody comes in and says, oh, I've had an awful day. Right, so what's happened? Mm-hmm. And it's the same kind of thing, but doing that in a more formal setting and I suppose potentially getting paid for it is, <laughs> is an added bonus, isn't it? So, so who would in your life, who have been the, the leaders, the, the coaches, who have been the people that have been, that you look back on and go, they were the one that, 
that made Claire mm. Taylor who she was. I think there's a bit of you that would say it was Claire Taylor that made Claire Taylor who she was, but who sparked it? Uh, initially, uh, the England coach, when I first got in the cricket team, Ruth Priddo, lovely lady from down south, very, don't fiddle and don't fumble back in the day. And I went to the first World Cup in 1988 and I knew I wasn't going to play. My bowling was pretty wayward, but she was one of the few coaches that was specific enough to say, you need to get more consistent. You need to pitch it up. This is what you need to do. And I think sometimes coaches, they can pick you for a reason, but they also drop you for a reason. Okay. There's got to be a reason. And for me, they've got to, it might be harsh, but they've got to tell you what that reason is or how can you go away and rectify it and get back in the team or stay in the team or become a better player. And she, I'm not saying one of the few, but she was the first one that hit the nail on the head and says, nope, this is what you need to do. And yes, it is harsh, but you, you take it on board or you walk away. You know, I was talking about that last week in a, on a, a coaching call, talking about that feedback and difficult conversations and, and the need for that clarity. If you're vague, then you don't know. But if you can give people those specifics and, and going back to my cricket, I can remember asking the coach there saying, how do you drop somebody? And he said, you know, there's none of this, pardon the phrase, shit sandwich. You know, it's the, this is how it is. Bang, bang, bang. You know, with empathy, mm. but this is how it is. It's about respect as well. And, yeah, and it, giving them that, like you say, the feedback that they can go away and do something about yeah. it. And coaching, managing it. It's it's all coaching, man management, isn't it? You all know the the players. You have to put your arm around and go, come on, actually. Or you also know the ones that you go, this isn't good enough. You can do better than that. Get on with it. You know. And I was more of the second kind yeah. of thing. Um, I remember I went to help a, a mate move Sue, and she lived. She, I've known her thirty years. We played in the Yorkshire team together. She was captain, and she's yeah. very abrasive. And she threw him the ball, and she goes, "You bowling like a." <laughs> sort it out and I'm at the top of her right right I'll show you yeah. get two wickets and I'm like a little puppy dog going how about that she went not bad you can have another over <laughs> but she knew that that was how to deal with me yeah whereas yeah. she knew with other people it was right come on just pitch it up a little bit yeah. and and that's a skill and you'll know that like yeah. working in business yeah. to try and get the best out of people you've got to massage their ego a little bit but like ask them to play to the strengths and work out what the strengths are. Really understand that. Mm. See, so first woman to take 100 wickets in one day internationals, is that right? It is, yes. Yeah. That was 2005 in in the World Cup in South Africa. It was Miriam Greeley was the 100th one. She was captain of Ireland. Miriam's played a load of time. And after the game, she came up and gave me the biggest hug. <laughs> I'm so pleased to be your 100th wicket. And that's nice as well, that, that people respect it and recognise it. And, you know, they're still friends now, you know. Mm. And that's, there's the banter, yeah, there's a get on that pitch. She didn't want to get out to me. Mm. And she didn't mm. deliberately get out to me. Um, I got her out kind of thing. But she was the first to come up and say, you know, congratulations. And did that 100th wicket, I mean... I assume you knew it was your 100th wicket, but was that a big deal to get that 100th wicket? Or was it, you know, just a part of the game and a byproduct, if it you like? It was funny, because at the time, uh, obviously, 2005, I was 40. Um, and so it was... I knew I was getting towards the end of my career. We went out there, and the coach at the time, I could tell I didn't figure in his plans, which is fine. But then part of me is like, well, why have you brought me then if I'm not going to figure in your plans? And have you brought me just to, you know, help the other girls along? In which case, I think you need to tell me. Uh, and there were some injuries. So I think I only got a game because of injuries. 
but then and to give me the the chance to get this hundred wickets. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, and it was a, it was a little bit bittersweet, I suppose. So then I got the hundredth wicket, and then he couldn't drop me. <laughs> so that was that was you know, and, but that's me. That's, that's a lesson that, in life. That's though, my isn't way it? of going. Yeah. yeah, bring it on, kind of thing. And again, quietly confident. I'm not going to shout my mouth off. You know, in my own mind, it was why have you brought me? I don't think I'm going to play many. So I got my head round that. But then it was right if I do get a chance. I'll show you what I've got, and if it's good enough, then hopefully we'll continue. And I think I know the answer to this as well, but what rates higher than something like that or in a team winning the World Cup? Winning the World Cup, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But again, out of all of, I think, all of my achievements, I'm more proud of getting my degree. Right, okay. Because so what's I've, your degree in? Geography, of all things. So it helps me, when I was a post, it helped me find my way around to find the letterboxes and read maps and things like that. No, because I think it, that's more, it's all your own work, <laughs> if that makes mm. sense. You've, you've had to go away and work for the three years, party for the three years, but then, you know, and I came away with a 2-1, which I was, I was quite pleased with, you mm. know, having got a sports person's degree because you're playing that much sport and whatever. And I just felt that for three years... It was something that I aimed for and achieved. And that was the only thing that I really aimed for. I never really aimed to play football or cricket for England. Like I say, they were just byproducts of enjoying it and mm. being fairly good and, and playing the game. You know, if a coach comes in and said, right, you're not an opening bowler, you're number, you know, your first change. It's not sulking, it's going, right, okay then. New challenge, let's yeah. go do it. And what about the MBE? <laughs> <laughs> That really just stands for must be early. That's a reminder to me because I'm notoriously late for anything. I want to swap it for a CBE. Can't be early, but do it having that. Yeah, again, an, another amazing byproduct of of a sporting career, I suppose. So yeah, it's I can't remember. I think it was uh, 2000. It was delayed because I was out in New Zealand. I think playing cricket. Uh, Prince Charles handed it over. And uh, we, we, we met in this room, and there's some amazing people down there who've done some amazing stuff. Uh, and the uh, Lord Lieutenant came in and said, um, Prince Charles will speak to you, will speak to everybody. When he then puts his hand out to shake your hand, it's stage exit left kind of thing. And so I was trying to somebody and I said, if he says to me, are you a, a, a batter? I'm going to go, no, I'm Camilla Parker Bowles, but doesn't bat. <laughs> and I could see him all going, oh my God, she's not really going to. And sure enough, so then, are you a bad No, I'm a bowler. I lost it completely. And, but yeah, amazing day. Mum and Dad went down. I think they absolutely enjoyed it. So you, you get the video, you get the photos, you wear the, the hat and everything. And yeah, the, the MBE's in my... Um, it's not even out on show. It's in, I think it's in my, one of my cupboards somewhere. And it's not... It's nice, yeah, to have it. Um, but again, it's just another byproduct of me enjoying life. Coming to the end of the conversation, but what what I love about you and we'd not met before today, and because of my absolute, you know, I, I've been brought up on cricket and football and my love of the game, both games, and also an understanding of street bikes as well and the wonderful work living in the area. But uh, Jason McCartney, the MP, had mentioned it on his podcast the other day, the brilliant work that you do. And my, my husband's interest in it as well. So, um, but the one thing that I find absolutely fascinating about you is that you don't seem to define yourself by these fabulous achievements that you've made. They're just a part of your life. Yeah, and, you know, there's more chapters hopefully to come, uh, more things to add to it. And again, it, it, it's just by 
I suppose being a decent person and having the integrity that we spoke about before to live your life. And I do believe in karma. I do believe good things happen to people who do good things or who are decent people. Um, so it, there's never been, apart from the degree, there's never been, this is what I'm aiming for, this is what I'm aiming for. You know, a lot of opportunities come along and I'm, yeah, go on, I'll give it a go. Uh, and that's what, for me, life should be about. I'm very fortunate I've had these opportunities, but it's about what you do with the opportunities. You know, like when you phoned, you know, do you want to do a po podcast? Uh, I could have gone, oh, no, no, it's not for me, but I've never done one before, but quite enjoyed it. So, you know, I suppose tick it off your list and good move talker, on. you see. <laughs> yes. So what's in the future? Um, travel again once COVID disappears. Um, I do have a house in New Zealand. I'm a resident of New Zealand, lived there for seven years. So I've still got a place out there. The ideal plan, I've got a nice little place in Armitage Bridge. The ideal plan would be eight months here, four months there. Wow. Miss the winters and just get, well, if you can call ours perpetual summers, but New Zealand's climate's exactly the same as ours. So just the other way around. Just the other way around. So I could do November, December, January, February, and it'd be the middle of summer out there. Uh, cricket season as well. So I can just do cricket season to cricket season. No, just continue, keep street bikes going. Um, very passionate about it. It's very close to my heart. Obviously, in these day and age, funding and everything is an issue, uh, but we'll work hard to keep it going and just enjoy life. Just make the most of what's in front of you. How can people help street bikes? Let's just get that out there well, because oh, yeah, we have got a, a lot one, of Pia. local uh, listeners. So how can we help street bikes? Uh, obviously, keep donating the bikes. That's one way that we can turn their scrap or things they don't need into money. Uh, we're looking at a scheme. We've got so many bikes over at Spent, part of the mixed ability, looking for small local businesses to sponsor a bike. So you'll get a little um, number plate on the back of your bike. We'll ask for X amount a year and then we'll, you'll be bike of the week. We'll put it on Facebook, uh, link into your... It's something that's in the pipeline. But yeah, we're, we're looking for, say, 50, 60 local firms. It's not going to be a lot of money uh, just to cover the running of spend. So if we can do that, that'd be ideal. Um, and if anyone wants to come down, not in the present climate, um, just to see what we do, uh, people are more than welcome at the, the track or looking from the doorway in this COVID era. Brilliant. And who's going to win the Premier League this year? Tricky one, tricky one. I'm, I'm, although I am a Liverpool fan, I think, thanks to Everton kicking two of our star players, um, I think it'd be close and it'd be good because you don't want one runaway leader. I think there's four or five that could do it. Um, I've got to stick with Liverpool, haven't I? But I'm still, a, I am a little bit wary. I don't think they'll do it, but obviously I hope they do. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Claire. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation and I'd love you to join in the conversation as well. The best way to do that is through social media and I can be found at Instagram and Twitter at DO underscore impact. If you'd like to sign up for my newsletter or learn more about my monthly membership, The Impact Club, please visit the website at deborahogden.com. If you've enjoyed this episode of On Brand With, I would so appreciate it if you would rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people know we exist. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to On Brand With. 
It was hosted by Deborah Ogden and produced by me, Anthony Short. This has been an A Short Stories production. Thank you.